Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a Kings 5 podcast on your San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball in general. I'm Jackson Floyd. I'm Cameron Songer. And Cameron, NBA Finals are here. It's exciting. It's a really good time to be a basketball fan. This is this is what it's all about. This is the best basketball really all year. Good time to be a basketball fan. Maybe not a good time to be a Spurs fan. This is yeah. a really painful finals process that we're going through right now. Yeah, Spurs fans kind of have to choose between Kawhi's team or the Golden State Warriors. It's like uh, not not the greatest. Yeah, uh, and then plus just the constant reminders of the Kawhi trade, um, just the what ifs. Oh, maybe the Spurs shouldn't have done this deal. Maybe they should have gotten more. A lot of questions right now, and a lot of Spurs uh, fans are like, hey, our team's in the offseason. We're worried about next year. Let's not focus on it. Hard not to get caught up in it, especially when, uh, you know, someone like Uncle Dennis is coming out and uh, speaking to the media. Kind of a weird time, too. I mean, couldn't he have waited another two or three weeks? Uh, it's just, I know right now is it's been Kawhi's moment. He's been the guy of the playoffs for a while. It was Kevin Durant. For a while, it was Giannis Antetokounmpo. But Kawhi has really claimed the spotlight, and in the next two or three weeks, he has a chance to claim the the you know the belt of best basketball player in the world. And Uncle Dennis jumping in and maybe becoming a little bit of a distraction, it certainly isn't something that the Raptors would want to hear, but it's obviously also painful for Spurs fans. Yeah, and uh, to hear his kind of reasoning behind the trade, the lack of trust that he felt the team had in believing that Kawhi was injured, doesn't really sit well with me. It doesn't really, I mean, I, I kind of took a dive back into how the Spurs have handled injuries with their players. 97, David Robinson comes down. There was no sort of lack of trust or trying to rush him back. They let him sit out the whole season. In 2001, or maybe it's 2000, Tim Duncan goes down. They don't rush him back. 2007, Ginobili goes down before the playoffs. You know, I guess the 2007-2008, he goes down. They don't rush him back. That's not the Spurs' MO. They didn't rush Kawhi back. Um, They never tried to force him back. I think the team doctors cleared him, and that was that. Um, And it was Kawhi's decision to to take it from there, to to sit out from there. But yeah, it's you know, without being there, you don't want to insinuate too much. But the relationship between a player and the team doctors is obviously one that isn't talked about a lot in the media and you don't hear a lot about it until it goes wrong uh, and that's clearly what kind of happened there and uh, it's it's unclear maybe what influence some of the other players in the locker room had I remember hearing about there were closed door meetings and other things that were going on as the Spurs were trying to make a playoff push and Kawhi was uh, their best guy on that roster going into the the 2017-2018 season mm-hmm. so there's obviously pressure to get back on the floor but a guy only the guy can tell you how he's feeling and with a you know with a leg injury uh, like Kawhi had, if he, you know what what he's saying, I think you have to go by. Um, so that that's a really weird uh, disconnect. There's been some you know some other discussions about what the Spurs team doctors might have missed with uh, Danny Green, and that was sort of a little bit taken out of context with uh, when when it was diagnosed versus when it might have happened, stuff like that. So uh, yeah, tough look for the Spurs. Before we dive too far into the finals, let's take a look at what else is happening in the Spurs world here. We saw a former Spurs uh, making some headlines in the fact that uh, Tony Parker told a French uh, TV station that he's considering retiring, which Cameron feels um, like he's gone a far distance from uh, when last year this time he was talking about wanting to keep on playing and have a role in the NBA. Yeah, what a difference a year makes for Tony Parker. Uh, This time last year, I think he probably wanted to stay with the Spurs, but the Spurs looked at it and said, well, we don't really see a major role for you here. We have DeJounte Murray, we have Derek White, Bryn Forbes, we have guards, young guards who need the ball. Uh, we want to get them involved. Uh, Tony looking for a multi-year deal to uh, to finish out his career uh, and thought he had a lot of uh, mileage left. I think there was uh, looking around at a market for backup point guards. He recognized that he wasn't going to be a starting caliber point guard in the NBA anymore on the wrong side of 33, 34, whatever. Uh, Goes goes to Charlotte, ends up playing there, and really falls out of the rotation relatively quickly, even with uh, former Spurs coach uh, James Borrego. Uh, so it's tough. Uh, father time is undefeated. These guys uh, are not going to be able to physically stay in the game and stay with some of these young, really quick guards. And uh, Tony Parker's evolved his game quite a bit, but when the minutes aren't there for you on a non-playoff team in the Eastern Conference... That's that's kind of writing on the wall, and I think also you look at sort of the backup point guard world in the NBA. You're not looking for an older guy 
who's going to come in and slow down the tempo and sort of dictate the offense and maybe not bring too much to the defensive side, unless you're right on the cusp of winning a finals. And, uh, you know, maybe a team like the Warriors or the Raptors would want a guy like that on the bench for chemistry, experience, stuff like that. I mean, every time I look at the Raptors bench now, you see Jeremy Lin over there and it's like, oh yeah, he's on the Raptors, but he's not. The the, the warmups are staying on. So uh, with the exception of maybe two teams, three teams, uh, there's not really a spot for a Tony Parker as a third string point guard. Uh, So to see after he signed a two-year deal, one year in to say, might be hanging him up. Uh, yeah, that shows how quickly things can change in the NBA. Yeah, I guess in the NBA, in my opinion, your ideal backup point guard is someone like Patty Mills five years ago. He was feisty. He was bringing the energy. He was hounding on the full court press defense there. Might not have always been the best scorer or the guy you want scoring, but would start the offense, drive the offense, and inspire other people. That's one of the reasons why the Spurs had the best second union second unit during that playoff run. Um and Parker, I guess, he got to Charlotte. That was a great situation for him. You mentioned former Spurs coach Borrego. Uh, one of his friends, Nick Batum, was there. And uh, he mentioned when making the decision that he was going to play for one of his idols, Michael Jordan. Um, so you can't fault him for finding that situation and uh, wanting to embrace that. It's too bad he fell out of the rotation. I know he talked about wanting to retire a Spur. That doesn't seem possible now. He does have that extra year in Charlotte. Uh, if he does retire, uh, Charlotte could release him. He could sign a day contract to come back uh, to San Antonio. But it does sound like there's going to be a good chance we have another Jersey retirement ceremony here in the AT&T Center, completing the big three in the rafters that, up there. That, that would be nice. And, you know, you can do some revisionist history and say it would have been nice if he had stayed for this one year, especially knowing what we know now that DeJounte Murray was going to get injured. There probably could have been some minutes for, for Tony, even despite, like we said, Bryn, Patty, Derek White. Yeah, for uh, sure. I mean, all those guys lack the institutional knowledge that Popovich, I mean, Patty has it, but Popovich kind of values that stuff. So he might have had some time here, uh, might have had some minutes here on the team. Yeah, and it's not it's not um, totally uh, unprecedented for a player of Tony's stature, his career, to have a, a random sort of year at the end of his career or a year or two uh, in another place you don't associate. You would never associate Dominique Wilkins with the Spurs, he, or the Clippers, he, you'd think of him as a hawk. But you know, these guys, these guys bounce around a little yeah. bit at the end of their careers. It happens. Artis Gilmore was here too. One of those guys. Yeah, we mentioned you know Dejounte Murray, another Spurs point guard that uh, another point guard that the Spurs really wish they could have had this season. Um, but you know, as active as inactive as he was in the court, he stayed just as active on social media. He's got a great Instagram, great Twitter. Uh, recently, did an Instagram live answering Spurs fans' questions, and um, someone asked him um, about Rudy Gay, his situation here. He's a free agent, obviously. Coming in um, to the Spurs and whether or not he thought this team would resign him. And uh, yeah, he says Rudy Gay is staying. Uh, take that for what you will. Another fan asked him if he thought the Spurs would bring anyone in. And uh, Murray made his feelings on free agency very clear with a uh, an obscene uh, gesture towards free agency, I guess. Uh, a word I can't say on this podcast, but uh, he's not a big fan of free agency and uh, mm-hmm. he likes the team that the Spurs have. He's kind of the anti Kawhi that the Spurs fans need right now, someone who's outspoken, who uh, isn't afraid to be on social media and to have a presence, uh, which is kind of nice. Yeah, for a long time, the Spurs, the face of the Spurs franchise, in terms of players at least, you had Tim Duncan, and then this is going to be this bridge to Kawhi Leonard. You have these stoic, stone-faced guys. If they talk to the media at all, it's non-answers, you know, very, uh, you know, nondescript, uh, not giving too much away, not showing too much emotion. Uh, But this is a different league now. I mean, big picture, this is going to be a different era of the Spurs. We sort of are in it now. Uh, and definitely going to be in the next two or three years as Coach Popovich, we assume, is not going to be around forever. Uh, the Spurs, at some point, are going to be part of the 21st century NBA, and this is what happens now. Players are on social media. Players are saying things when maybe a you know a media relations professional would probably prefer that they didn't say something like that, but it's just it's the world we live in now. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of players speaking to the media, Spurs' DeMar DeRozan makes an appearance on Carrie Champion, uh, her podcast with ESPN, uh, talking about his um, battle with mental health and uh, his battle with depression, something that he's dealt with throughout his career. And you got to kind of wonder what's going through his mind watching the Raptors uh, progress to the finals without him, a team that he was such a big part of for nine years, 10 years, almost a decade here as the face of that franchise. Um, so it's nice to hear him come out and speak to Kerry Champion about that. Yeah, yeah. He talked about how he stays in touch with the his former teammates there. Obviously, uh, he and uh, Kyle Lowry were very close uh, as sort of the 1A and 1B uh, guys in Toronto for so long, uh, it they sort of felt that they had reached their ceiling a little bit, and uh, from a, from at least from a Toronto Raptors front office standpoint, they felt they needed to make some moves. And uh, when Kawhi Leonard became available, 
uh, he was the he was sort of the odd man out in that case. A uh, lot of hard feelings though, um, but not to his former teammates. He, he said he stays in touch with them. He's calling and texting them, and he's, he said he's happy for them. And I mean that's that. On one hand, you have to say that, and you know it has to be tough to think had things broken a slightly different way, you'd be playing in the NBA Finals, and that's sort of every uh, young basketball player's dream. But uh, you know, Demar. You respect him for being so open about it, and that's not an easy thing to talk about when you're when you're struggling with something. And uh, nothing but respect for what he's doing there. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned he stays in touch with the teammates. Honestly, there's not a lot of teammates left there who were there from their time. They traded away Valachunas, who's a big piece for Gasol. Um, I mean, Lowry, of course, is he's been open about being his best friend in the league. You saw at the beginning of the season, they were doing their handshake warm-up routine apart from each other, like in the corner by themselves. Uh, just kind of a nice connection that these two players have. Um, but yeah, this has been the Kawhi Leonard past couple of weeks as we transition here into the NBA Finals. So let's talk finals. Let's first of all, let's address how we got here. Um, two different paths. Golden State Warriors made it look easy. Toronto, the first team in NBA history to come from behind down in each of their series going into the finals. Oh yeah, they were technically down 0-1 to the Magic. I forgot about yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. So they've come behind in each of their series. Two different paths. Uh, what did you see in the finals from Toronto? Uh, what did you see in the semifinals from Toronto um, that impressed you or that stood out to you? Uh, home court, I think, is something that will be huge as we talk about the finals and moving forward. Uh, Toronto didn't look good. They didn't look comfortable playing in Milwaukee. Uh, and then they came home. And I've heard a lot of things said about watching a game live in Toronto, especially a playoff game. And you watch the way it's broadcast on TV. They, they show those shots outside of uh, Jurassic Park, the fans who are watching the game on the screens outside. It's I've heard it called more like a soccer atmosphere um, than a, a regular NBA arena. It's the only team in Canada. It's not just uh, the only uh, game. They, they have a whole country behind them, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, so it's such a rowdy and fun environment. There's so much uh, support there in Toronto, which is a great city, a great sports city. Uh, so suddenly they come back home and they flip the series around, take care of business in game three and game four, get on the road, steal one in game five, and then they come home with all the momentum and they finish it off. They go four straight after falling behind 2-0. Uh, really impressive. I like what they did defensively against Giannis Antetokounmpo. And uh, Fred Van Vliet was suddenly just like the kind of guy, if he stays hot, this is a very interesting NBA Finals. Yeah, you've seen it on many of these historically teams that make these runs to the finals. You always get a role player who is suddenly hot. Uh, When the Spurs were uh, in the championship for the first time against the Heat, it was Gary Neal and it was Danny Green, suddenly unstoppable from the three-point line. Um, so yeah, if you get someone like Van Fleet or you know, anyone off the bench kind of making this role, you'll get an Ibaka game probably, which will help the Raptors. Defensively was what really stood out to me in that um, Milwaukee series, how they found an answer for Giannis, and that was really just putting a bunch of bodies in the paint. Don't let him drive. Don't let him get to his comfortable spots. Slow them down, too, I think was a big thing. They stopped uh, They stopped their transition offense and really forced them to play a half-court offense, uh, which was big. I have questions about whether or not they can do that against Golden State. Um, Golden State is a team that thrives in the transition. They're probably one of the best transition teams in the league, if not the best, but they're also a great half-court offense. And when you have someone like Curry who can run your offense in the half-court, run your plays, run your sets, uh, that makes them pretty hard to stop. And that's why they're kind of this this monstrous team that we've seen for the last four years in the finals here. Yeah, I think defensively what Toronto's going to have to do is sort of an inversion of what the focus was against Milwaukee. Against Milwaukee, the focus was protect the rim, make Giannis drive, and make him make, him make other players make shots. Uh, you know, Brooke Lopez, Malcolm Brogdon, George Hill, uh, Eric Bledsoe. Force these guys to make shots. Don't let Giannis get to the rim. And if he's getting there, foul him, because suddenly he had the yips from the free throw line. I think that was another important point uh, in the Eastern Conference uh, Finals. But Golden State, they use the outside to open up the inside. You're so worried about what they're going to do, uh, letting Clay Thompson or Steph Curry get hot and suddenly rip off three or four straight threes, that you're giving up layups because you need to protect the three-point arc. So uh, it's going to be a real challenge for Nick Nurse as the head coach of the Raptors and everybody else around Kawhi. You're, you're, you know Kawhi is going to be fine. He's, he's going to take care of his business defensively. It's about the other guys around him uh, creating a game plan and executing that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the the easy layups, the easy baskets. That's something that 
Golden State feasted on in Portland. Portland was so worried about that three-point line, about doubling Curry when he's got the ball in the pick and rolls there. Draymond Green had wide open lanes the whole time. He was, I think, the most impressive person in that series. Uh, when Durant gets out, he's the guy who went, we need someone to bring the energy. We need someone to kind of put us into motion here. He was thriving in the fast break, kind of getting that rebound and sending it down in the transition offense. Um, and that kind of was a big difference that Portland series. Uh, it's wild to me to think that Portland had a 17-point lead in three of those games uh, and ended up being swept. You don't see that very often, but that's kind of the resilience that the Warriors have proven they've had for, you know, four years now. They sort of took on a different air around them after uh, Kevin Durant got injured. It was sort of a oh yeah well watch us sort of like this air of invincibility like nothing is going to matter um and i think draymond green is a huge part of that sometimes we've seen it in the past where it gets it goes a little too far he becomes an enforcer and you saw how him uh being suspended for a game turned the 2016 nba finals he's a few years wiser now uh i think he understands the difference between being an instigator in a bad way and being an instigator in a good way for his team uh and keeping the focus on Golden State rather than the opponents and trying to get them out of their game. One thing I love about Draymond's game is his ability to facilitate the offense. He's a secondary playmaker and he's not doing it by pounding the ball. He's catching it on a roll and finding the next open man. He's making the right play in quick uh, reaction plays as the, what's called the short roll man. Yeah. So what's really impressed me, and we kind of addressed this, is the way Draymond Green has changed his game. And actually, he spoke about this to the media. Um, recently talking about how watching his kid play basketball changed his mindset and changed the way he wanted to play because he's a player who is kind of known for maybe not being dirty but kind of having some antics on the court um gets a lot of technical fouls might flop from time to time um and watching his kid imitate that kind of style of basketball made him think i don't want to do this i don't want my kid to grow up watching that so he kind of reinvented himself i guess went back to the way he would play uh when he was first coming up in the league and that first kind of Golden State Championship run when he was the best defender on the court, when he was pushing the transition, pushing the fast break. Um, so that's been really impressive. To me, I wonder what Toronto is going to do with Steph Curry, um, how they're going to guard him from the onset. Kyle Lowry, good defender, not great defender. Curry's going to burn him if they, they rely on him. Um, if I were Toronto, I'd want to get the ball out of Curry's hands as fast as I can. Uh, I'm putting Kawhi on him from game one, just from the onset. Best man on our team's guarding your best guy. See what you got. I think you have to do that. Um, That's been the strategy, I think, especially with this Durant and uh, presumably Cousins-less Golden State team. Make somebody else beat you. Uh, You know, if Klay Thompson gets hot, then yeah, you find a way to take the ball out of his hands and you keep going down the line. Uh, But if Steph Curry gets going, and you imagine there's going to be a game or two where he's going to get going and he's going to go off for 30 plus it's what he's been doing all playoffs toronto's goal if they want to win the the championship is they're going to have to find a way to keep those number of games down you can't it it can't just be well curry's going to get his and then you know we'll we'll live with that it doesn't work it works for a lot of other superstars it doesn't work against this warriors team for sure toronto are the favorites in game one here eight and a half point favorites um do you think they win game one and do you think that gives them any sort of momentum heading forward i think it's going to be really interesting to see home court is going to be really important uh we talked a little bit about toronto's home court advantage golden state has a pretty good home court advantage too uh the difference to me right now is golden state maybe is a little rusty they they swept in the conference finals they've been off for more than a week uh by the time uh game one is tipped off be closer to i think two weeks uh so are they rusty at all? I think if Golden State comes out firing and they sort of bury Toronto early in game one and are able to hang on again, Golden State hasn't been playing from ahead very much this playoffs, but I think there's also a possibility that they come out fresh, they look sharp, they're prepared and ready to go. If they take game one, this series could be over really pretty quickly. I think it's more likely that Toronto continues the momentum that they built up in the conference finals. Golden State maybe takes a little while to find their legs up north. And uh, I, I think Toronto wins game one. Game two, I think, is really where the series could start to be decided. Yeah. So Kevin Durant's already been ruled out for game one. 
still kind of questions surrounding game two. He's traveling with the team to Toronto, which kind of gives you some sort of optimism if you're a Warriors fan um, that he might play, or if you're an NBA fan in general, you want to see Durant in these finals. Um, but Toronto has to win the games. Durant's out. If they don't, this is going to be a fast series. I agree. Um, who's going to be the guy who steps up when Kawhi is not scoring for Toronto is another big question of these finals. Um, you saw Van Fleet in the last um, the last series kind of do that. Gasol had moments. Ibaka had moments. Um, but who's going to be the other person? I think um, Danny Green was relatively quiet in the conference finals, had a terrible conference finals, uh, to put it uh, a little more strongly. Uh, he's a guy who's been to the NBA finals before and has shown that he can uh, shoot his shot and he can make baskets. I think you're going to need him to hit some shots. Um, but yeah, is there anyone else that you could see for Toronto kind of stepping up? Yeah, Kyle Lowry had a great game to start the conference finals and they still lost to Milwaukee. What I think is going to be interesting is how much can the Raptors actually play Marcus Gasol. The, the Warriors' big men outside of Marcus Cousins, who we probably won't see. I mean, he suffered a pretty major injury earlier in the playoffs. There's been some sort of dark internet rumors that he might come back. I don't really see it happening, with, especially with the success they've had with uh, guys like Kevon Looney, uh, Damian Jones, stuff like that. Marcus Gasol can't keep up with those guys. Those are young, really athletic big guys. It means you're going to see Serge Ibaka at the five and not much of Marcus Gasol. It's going to really put a lot of pressure on Serge Ibaka to, to be uh, an important big guy, get those rebounds, uh, push the tempo a little bit. If, the, if that's what is called for for Toronto, he's going to need to have a big series. For sure. Um, if Gasol can stay on the court, it means he's hitting his shots. He's playing good defense. Uh, you saw him knock a couple three-pointers down in the conference finals. If the, he can stretch the floor like that, that's a big help for Toronto there. Uh, one other name we have to mention if you're talking about Toronto is Pascal Siakam. Uh, sort of came out of nowhere over the course of this year. Another young guy. Uh, he's been a little bit up and down during the playoffs, but he's, I think, a real X factor. Is I think, personally, I think the stage is going to be a little bit too big for him. Uh, especially as the lights are shining brighter and brighter against a really experienced Golden State team. But he could also have a stretch or even a game uh, that, that that could turn the series. Definitely. I mean, he is a finalist for most improved player. Probably the favorite to win that award this year. We've talked a lot about what Toronto needs to do to win, uh, and that's kind of unfair to Toronto. What does Golden State need to do to win? Uh, we're just not, we can't just say they can be Golden State and do their thing. Um, who's guarding Kawhi for them? I think is a big question they need to answer. That's, I think, the number one question uh, because Toronto sort of revealed themselves, at least offensively, in crunch time to be kind of one-dimensional. It's Kawhi and then Kawhi. Uh, Andre Iguodala, if he uh, if he can keep up with Kawhi, that's a great sign for Golden State. Um, I think Klay Thompson is too important to what they do offensively to try to stick him on Kawhi. He's likely to pick up fouls. That's the same problem with uh, Draymond Green. Uh, Andre Iguodala has really, over the course of this Warriors dynasty uh to be that like that x factor uh can he make those big defensive plays you saw him make the play uh to clinch the portland series in crunch time against damian lillard i think they're going to ask him to do the same thing you you don't have to ask him to do much offensively you let clay and steph continue to do what makes them fantastic and however much you can use andre Iguodala to limit Kawhi leonard it's not going to be a one-man job you, you can't play andre Iguodala all 48 minutes to be the Kawhi stopper but he's he's i think uh, option 1a there there's not many people in the league who can stop Kawhi one-on-one -on -one, but if i mean Iguodala is in that conversation um and if they need someone else to slide over there i think draymond is an option if you're warriors if you're the warriors you want him to be kind of that free-ranging in the middle kind of doing his thing that's how he thrives the best um and staying out of foul trouble too is a very big help do you think we see durant this series i think so i think this this is such an interesting story it's, it's such a weird subplot that you're talking about one of the best players in the league no doubt in Kevin Durant. And there's been questions, Are this, is this team better off without him? Is he going to stay? Where does he want to go? His legacy, I think, is something that he thinks a lot about. And what it would mean to him if Golden State goes on this run, they go undefeated after he goes down with an injury, that would, it would really make him feel and make it look like in public perception that he wasn't really an important part of this team. He was, you know, a, a sort of like a, um, an assassin, a hired gun, so to speak. And I don't think any player really wants to be known for that. Uh, it would be damaging for him mentally and for the league if Golden State rolls through Toronto without Kevin Durant. I think it's going to be a close series. I think he's going to feel compelled to come back. And what happens then is what, what it's all about. If they fall short against Toronto, does he want to stay? If he wins... Does he want to stay and try to keep ro rolling off consecutive championships? If they win, but he's not an important piece, does he say, all right, well, y'all are cool without me. I'm out. 
if they win and he is the difference maker and comes back and drops 40 in game seven, how can he really leave after? There's so many unanswered questions, and I think uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, where he's at, especially two or three games in. If he's back, what percent? He's not going to be 100%, but can uh, Kevin Durant at 90, 92%, he can obviously sw- still swing a series. How great can he be? Yeah, I think even Kevin Durant at 75% is going to give you a lot uh, to help you propel towards the final. At least more than you know, like Kevin Looney could give you in that same time. He's been doing great, but Durant is Durant. Um, and you know he's a guy who reads the headlines, who follows his stuff when he sees things like, oh, this Warriors team is a fun again, and oh man, we're rooting for this. It's so much fun. Oh man. He, it's, he's it's on all of his burner Twitter accounts right now. <laughs> yeah, he's tweeting everyone. Um, and it, the, the crazy thing in this finals is all those questions we have about Durant 90% of them apply to Kawhi as well. If, oh, yeah. the, if the Raptors win, is Kawhi staying? Is this a factor into his decision here? Um, there's so many things, um, so many storylines uh, surrounding these two players. Kind of unprecedented. We've never seen two finals teams where their best players could be gone in the next year. We haven't even mentioned that Clay Thompson yeah. is a free agent this this coming summer. Uh, just ridiculous that these, these are two teams that could go in completely different directions next year. I don't think it's going to be the case with goals. As long as they have Steph, they're going to be at least a playoff team. Um, but look at what happened with Cleveland from uh, last year. They were, you know, they sort of struggled in the regular season, but pushed through and made the finals. They're one of the worst teams in the league this year. I don't yeah. think that's going to happen to Toronto. Uh, they sort of had the infrastructure in place. Uh, but Kawhi skipping town after just one season, especially if it's without a finals, uh, without an NBA championship, that's that's a risk that they were willing to take. I think it's probably the right move for them at this point. Mm. But with what ends up happening, we, we sort of alluded to it earlier, where, with what ends up happening with the rest of his career and the next couple of years with the Spurs, that trade, I think, is worth revisiting again five years down the line. Definitely. Um, I guess there's one big lingering question uh, in these NBA Finals, and then we'll talk predictions and what we think is going to happen in the series. But the X factor to me is, what's Drake going to do? <laughs> Uh, it's amazing to me that he's making as many headlines around this NBA Finals. We've got some of the best players in the NBA. We've got two of the best teams in the NBA right now, and so many stars who could be in transition. This kind of feels like a transitionary period. Um, but yeah, Drake is what Budenholzer wanted to talk about in his press conference and uh, what people are talking about. He's not doing anything that you know Spike Lee didn't do, that we've seen these kind of big-name celebrities with courtside seats. Um, but yeah, he's... Got in the head of Milwaukee, apparently. I don't think it's going to happen for Golden State. No, no. Golden State's, they've been through too much. They've dealt with LeBron as many years as they've dealt with him, and uh, so much uh, of a media circuit. Even earlier in this year, like they were, the Warriors, you have to understand, earlier this year, there was this whole Durant Draymond falling out, and there was talk that they might have had to trade one of them. They weren't even going to get through the season. They, they've been through so much that, you know, what's Drake and, you know, waving and making faces? The Twitter fingers. That's not on. Uh, that's not on Golden State's mind right now. Do you uh, have an over under on how many times Drake is shown in Game One? Twenty. <sighs> Who no. gets more camera time, Drake or Steve Kerr? Oh, definitely Drake. <laughs> I, I see. I would want to talk about how many shoulder rubs is is Drake going to give Nick Nurse? That's that's the real more. I mean, of course they're going to show Drake. They're going to have crowd shots. They're going to show Jurassic Park and and anytime good things are happening because it's such a great crowd in Toronto. That was such a weird moment to me. Like, are you kidding me? You have a fan who's just allowed to like walk on the court. He's practically in the team huddle. Yeah. I understand that he has sort of an unofficial official position with the team, but that's that's a bit much. Do you think the that's something the NBA needs to address? No, not really. It's not a player safety issue. It's not a, uh, you know, he's not turning around and leaking team strategies to any other team. And, uh, you know, there are other people who are courtside, and obviously you don't want them to get in the huddle as well. I think they probably will address it, or I wouldn't be surprised if they do, but I don't think they need to. Maybe maybe privately behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah, without without issuing an official statement. It's already way too much of the news cycle right now as it is. We're already spending way more time talking about one fan than we should be. Um, Let's the NBA can they can deal with it. So, is there anything else we need to talk about finals before we get to predictions? To me, where how important is the result of this final to what Kawhi decides to do in the summer? Yeah. Uh, Has he already made up his mind? I think there. I think there's a segment of NBA um, orbit that thinks that KD and uh, Kawhi have already made up their minds on where they're playing next year. The result of this final doesn't matter. I refuse to believe that. I think this is this is a championship we're talking about. This is what players want to do. I, I just don't understand why you would have already made up your mind on something when 
the literal championship is still up for grabs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know it's just seven games, but these are the most important seven games of this player's season. And some players, the most important seven games of their career, uh, career-defining games up here. So I'd imagine that it's definitely going to weigh into their decisions pretty heavily, especially on Kawhi's side. I think Durant, there's a little bit more leeway. He's won championships here. There's been that talk about him wanting to build his own team, build his own legacy, and that's such an important thing to him. But I think the constant that we've heard from Kawhi's camp um, is that he wants to win championships. And if he wins in Toronto, it gets very close to winning in Toronto, he might look at the situation and say, this is the best chance for me to win a championship next year. Yeah, the number I've heard is that he's close. To, he's around 50-50 to staying. And the only reason, the only way I could say that 50-50 would make sense is if they get sort of run out of the building. If they're if it's a gentleman sweep or a straight up sweep, he could look at it and say, yeah, we're not really actually that close to winning a championship here in Toronto. I'm going to reboot and go somewhere else. If, this, if they push this to six or seven or they win, I don't see how you could leave. It's just... He's already alienated so many people in San Antonio. I don't know if he really wants to turn all of Toronto and all of Canada against him uh, as much as he could. I mean, this is as far as that franchise has been. He's responsible for probably the two greatest moments uh, in their franchise postseason history. So that would be a really interesting case study if they get if they come up just short and say a game seven and he chooses to hightail it out of there. What is the reaction yeah, uh, for sure. The next time he comes back to that building, uh, does he get an applause? Not. We saw it a little bit here in San Antonio, but obviously a little, a little bit more animosity, despite the fact that he did bring a ring here. Yeah, you can see that. I mean, there's already a lot of Toronto, uh, a lot of members of the Toronto fan base who have kind of come to the, the grips of the fact. Well, you know, like he's not from here. He didn't choose to be here. This is a trade. We're happy that he, you know, did, came here and succeeded and played as hard as he could. Played through injury through these playoffs. Um, but yeah, I still think there's going to be a lot of angry people in Toronto if he gets this far and then leaves after a year. Um, but that brings us to uh, what we think is going to happen here in the series. Um, Toronto's the favorites in Game 1. They have home court advantage. Do you think that swings the series for them, or do you think the Warriors still uh, still come out on top? No, my, I'm taking the Warriors in six. I think it's going to be really hard to win uh, on the other team's home court, but I think it's going to happen probably more than most people would expect in this series. I think it takes six, but they, they don't need a, a seventh game to, to close out Toronto. Yeah, the, the rational analyst in me says Golden State in six. I could see Golden State doing it in five. I think they're going to split this uh, Toronto um, homestand they've got in these first two games. Go one and one. You go home. Maybe that's when Durant turn, or comes back. Um, and I think they could make a run here um, and do something great. I mean, this is probably the most adversity they've faced since Durant's come to the team. Um, they don't have a lot of depth. They're kind of injury depleted here. Um, a lot of people are playing through and battling through things. Iguodala is a guy who uh, hasn't been 100% this whole playoffs. Um, but you've got an X factor in Curry who I think sees he's he's been uh, um, eluded from the NBA Finals MVP uh, I think he could really step up and prove himself to be one of the three best players. He's kind of been forgotten from the conversation here between the Durant, Kawhi, oh my gosh, these two superstars. But, I mean, Curry is one of the best guys to ever play the game, um, and I think he could step up here. I just don't know if Toronto has the firepower to keep up with Golden State, nor do they have the multifaceted defense you need to shut down someone from Curry who can shoot from 30 feet out. He's also a great penetrator, great off the pick and roll. Um, it's it's a deadly team. It's a really interesting point though about Curry because he could really put himself. Curry could really put himself in the discussion of greatest of all time. Uh, he could really join that sort of pantheon. You think about guys who've three-peated. He would have four in five years. He'd put himself alongside modern names: Jordan, LeBron, Duncan, Curry. That, yeah, that would that that's what's at stake for him. And you know, we talked about Kawhi could maybe claim the belt for best player right now. Curry is playing for something a little bit. I don't think you would maybe make the argument that Curry is better than Kawhi, but the way this this team is and the what he's been able to do, uh, that's up there for him. It's at least the one thing that's missing from his resume, his finals MVP, and he might have chances down the line to grab one. This is a very good opportunity for him to get one, especially with Durant missing some time here. Um, I could see things going south if Durant comes back, isn't healthy, there's some sort of rift again. Um, but I just I think this is Golden State's series to lose in five, six. Uh, I don't think it goes to game seven. Yeah, I think there are ways it could go south for Golden State. I think uh, Cousins and Durant both coming back at about the same time could really derail some of their momentum. Uh, 
I don't think it's going to happen, though. I think there's, if anything, they're going to be more cautious, especially if they have a series lead. Let's say they get to the start, uh, you know, it's night before game four. They're up 2-1. It's in Golden State. And both KD and Boogie walk up to Steve Kerr's office and say, yeah, I'm ready to go. He might say, let's 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 play out game four and see how that goes. And if they win that, then it's almost like, yeah, you know, guys, cool. You know, yeah. chill. Let's do uh, some follow-up from our, from our last podcast. Uh, so one of the big stories uh, that's dominated NBA headlines, even through the playoffs, has been what's going on with the Lakers. We sort of talked, joked a little bit about a new big three. Jackson, uh, the, the LeBron-Lakers situation has been crazy. Yes, uh, it's been insane. I don't know if you've dived too much into this ESPN story, but it sounds like that front office is a little bit of a wreck. Um, some of it done uh, at the the willing of LeBron James here uh, in terms of the players he brought in and sort of the manipulation of his agent to get players to L.A. Um, yeah, that's pretty wild. Um, I don't think that's a, a situation that's going to get any better in, in the short term here. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what they do in the uh, offseason. I think it's kind of, we talked about this a little bit in the po- uh, podcast last episode. They have to do something this free agency period. They have to do something this offseason to say, hey, look, we're making changes or bringing people in to play with LeBron. Um, if they roll the same team out next year, it's not going to be good. No, and they're not going to. They had they have like half of their team as free agents. Uh, they're going to be able to turn over the roster and get more shooting around LeBron. Uh, we, we talked, you know, a big part of our last part was talking about how, oh, could we, could there be a trade for LeBron out there? It's not going to happen. We've, there's continues to be whispers about it. Maybe not right now. I, I think there could be a world where if there aren't enough changes made in free agency, Lakers continue to be a mess. LeBron could ask to get out of there as early as the trade deadline, more likely next season. Uh, this season, I just don't. I just don't see the Lakers and LeBron giving up on each other. Yeah, for sure. This is going to be his team in this season. There are trades they could do to bring people in, and one of the the people that's kind of been talked about recently, uh, especially today in an ESPN report, uh, his old friend Chris Paul could be uh, headed to LA. Bring back the banana boat. Oh my gosh, reunite the team there. Uh, reunite the banana boat boys. Um, but yeah, Paul is a guy who I guess has a gigantic contract and. The Rockets, uh, they've been reportedly shopping any and all members of their team here, all their draft picks too. And other than other than Harden, other than Harden, yeah, they're yeah. going to keep Harden. <laughs> you got to, you can't get rid of him. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you could see Chris Paul go to the Lakers. I absolutely could see it. Honestly, when they paired Harden with Chris Paul, I wasn't a huge fan of it right away. Those are both ball dominant guys. They're on the smaller side. Usually, you don't want your two best players to roughly play the same position or have the overlapping skill set. I think that's part of the problem with what the Spurs are doing right now with DeMar and LaMarcus Aldridge, who both thrive sort of in that mid-range, mid-post, without having the ability to really stretch the floor. You want, ideally, two guys who skill sets are, are very different but complementary, uh, and that's not really what the Rockets have. So I could absolutely see uh, a Chris Paul to the Lakers trade that kind of would be some interesting poetic justice that almost happened when back in, what, 2010, 2011? Yeah. Uh, when he ended up with the Clippers, uh, there was a trade that was vetoed that would have sent him to the Lakers. So that that could be some some real interesting justice, poetic justice, if he ends his career in Los Angeles with LeBron. Talk about finishing the banana boat. Dwayne Wade announced his retirement. Could they get him to come out of retirement and play on that team for a you know for a veterans minimum? And then Carmelo Anthony is also a free agent. We talked about him in the last pod. Also, uh, want to make a quick correction. We talked about Dwight Howard being the the new big three. Uh, realize that uh, he actually is going to opt in to remain with the Wizards. He had a, a player option. I apologize for not knowing the status of every uh, team and player option for Southeast uh, Division teams. So, yeah. I mean, Spurs fans, you can breathe a <laughs> sigh of relief. Dwight Howard is not coming to San Antonio. They can trade for him. They, they, they still trade could. I think his contract is about $5.5 million a year. Uh, there, there, There is a world where I think the Wizards are trying to unload Bradley Beal and would need to match salaries somehow. Uh, so Dwight Howard could be on the move again. Uh, I think is what's most interesting about his career at this point is that he's played for every team in that division except for the Miami Heat. He played in Orlando, he played in Atlanta, he played in Charlotte, and now he's in Washington. He just needs to play for the Miami Heat to play for all five teams in a division. All right, is this the new Twin Towers then? Dwight <laughs> Howard and Hassan Whiteside? Oh my gosh, that oh, sounds yeah. like a nightmare. Um, <laughs> Our Dwight Howard fantasies need to stop. This is, get, <laughs> this is getting overwhelming. We are now the Dwight Howard podcast. Um, is there anyone, I mean, so is there a complimentary piece if they're moving Chris Paul that you'd want to see next to Harden? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, next to James Harden, I'm just trying to think of players and that are sort of on the trading block, so to speak. Like, there are certain guys who 
I think would work really well with James Harden, but our, the team would never trade him. Carl Anthony Towns, I think, is a good example of that. Like, yeah, that he would be fantastic with James Harden. The Timberwolves are not trading Carl Anthony Towns. Um, perhaps one of the uh, the two big guys from Detroit, either Blake Griffin or uh, Andre Drummond, that'd be really could interesting. be interesting. I, I actually think uh, Blake Griffin would be a nice fit next to James Harden. That uh, you already sort of have the center position with Clint Capella there, uh, but that could be that could be an interesting move. I think the Pistons might want to shake things up. Um, but yeah, yeah. Griffin has really developed his three-point shot into something that's very lethal. Um, he is a guy that you don't want to sag off when he's behind the line there. So he fits into that rocket situation. If you're having Harding drive, having Harden drive there, kick it out to Blake Griffin. He's a deadly option from out there. But he's also a guy who we've seen thrive in the pick and roll situation. Uh, he doesn't have the athleticism to do kind of the lob city spectacular dunks that he was doing, but is a great guy. Uh, a, a guy who who um, had a fantastic season playing through injury last year and willed that Pistons team to the playoffs. Yeah, that's a really complicated trade situation if you're going to uh, Chris Paul. If Chris Paul is going to the Lakers, if we're assuming that, then there's the Lakers are sending back some of those young guys who would theoretically not be a good fit around Harden. You're talking about Ingram, Ball, uh, Kuzma. Could be an interesting fit, but doesn't really fit the timeline for that team. They're trying to win now. So yeah, uh, you're talking about moving those guys for another guy. Would that be enough to sort of go as a go-between with New Orleans and Anthony Davis playing in Houston, taking up that salary spot, so to speak, left by Chris Paul? Uh, You could also throw in some of the Rockets assets if they're moving the Lakers assets over to New Orleans and throwing in some of their own assets, but they don't have that many uh, good young assets. They've been sort of picking at the end of the draft and giving away some of their draft picks. It's tough. That There are a lot of other trades that I see as way more likely than uh, Chris Paul, Anthony Davis, also Rockets and Lakers go between. It could happen. Yeah. You bring up Anthony Davis uh, and the New Orleans Pelicans. I think that was a situation where going into the draft lottery, it was, you know, dead set, they're going to send Davis maybe for the first pick, you know, to kind of get Zion and rebuild this team. Suddenly, draft lottery happens. Pelicans end up with the number one pick. Jaws on the floor. It's insane. Um, is that a situation you think changes? Do you think they try to keep Davis at all? I saw there were, um, ESPN was reporting that David Griffin was meeting with uh, Anthony Davis today. Uh, do you think they try to, you know, kind of repair that situation? I I don't know. I think it could be a situation where they look at it and they look at what has happened with other teams that have been in similar situations. You look at Indiana with Paul George, and you look at San Antonio with Kawhi Leonard, and how those things have turned out for those teams. Indiana got lucky that Victor Oladipo suddenly blossomed. Uh, San Antonio, I think the jury's still out. Uh, however, you might want to try a different tact. You maybe play hardball with him and say, look, I don't think we can get fair value for you, Anthony Davis. You're still under contract. You're staying here. You're staying here, and as long as you're staying here, you're wasting another year of your prime. Because this would be the second straight year of his prime that's basically being wasted. If you really want to sit on the bench and you know pout or kind of ask for a minutes restriction, give half effort, whatever, that's fine. You can leave in free agency. This is Zion's team. You're kind of a jerk. Bye. Yeah, it's, uh, it's win-win for the Pelicans. If Davis stays, that's a deadly team. Uh, pairing Williamson up with him and Drew Holiday, who had a fantastic season last year, he's kind of a, a great third member of that roster there. Um, if, if he wants to leave, that's great. You get amazing bunch of assets for a player of Davis's caliber, and then you start the Zion Williamson era there in New Orleans. Is there anyone else out there who you thought won in the lottery or someone who lost uh, in the lottery this time around? Big losers were the teams that I think kind of overtly tanked. Uh, Cleveland, Phoenix, uh, Washington sort of at the end. Washington ended up with the ninth pick. They were pretty bad this year. They're in a really rough spot. Uh, I'm really interested to see what they do with that team moving forward and John Wall's gigantinormous contract. Yeah, they might have the worst situation in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the Knicks also not really rewarded too much for their sort of tank. They're still getting a top four pick uh, at number three. The Lakers are a big winner, uh, I think, and and the Grizzlies. Uh, this has sort of been looked at as a two or three player draft. Obviously, Zion is the the number one, and then John Morant I think is pretty clearly number two. Uh, the Grizzlies are in getting one of those two guys are are, are going to be in good shape, uh, and then the the Knicks and Lakers at three and four. Uh, very interesting situations. Those are both teams that have been sort of considered top contenders for Anthony Davis, who is uh, the biggest trade asset, the biggest trade target in the NBA right now. Those are both big markets. I think it's good for the NBA that it probably 
you know, loosens things up and makes things a little bit easier for those teams to come to the table with New Orleans and say, this is what we can give you. What do you think? Yeah, we. I mean, this draft has been looked at as a as a two player, one player draft. Really, it was the it was the Zion Williams and Sweet Stakes. Uh, but John Morant has really made his uh, case as the number two guy there, uh, and then R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish, those other Duke guys, kind of hanging there in the top five. Um, is, is that kind of how you see it falling out? Those guys being the big four. Is there anyone else that could kind of propel themselves into a top five pick here? Yeah. So outside of obviously Zion, John Morant, uh, R.J. Barrett, I think is is the clear number three. I think in most cases, mm-hmm. uh, Jarrett Culver. Uh, from Texas Tech, as his sounds like he's shooting up draft boards. Although I think there's a pretty sizable gap between those top few guys. Uh, yeah, the the teams that are outside that top three or four, I think, are, are really uh, kind of just a loser by just not being there. Uh, I, I'm really interested, again, to see what the, the Knicks, I think, are the top thing at number three to watch with uh, a potential trade with the Pelicans. I think the well has kind of been poisoned between New Orleans and Los Angeles with how uh, negotiations broke down near the deadline between those two teams. I just don't think the Pelicans are going to make a trade for uh, with Los Angeles at all. I agree. I mean, you, you saw David Griffin came in uh, into the situation and was like, oh, no, I don't have any grudges and things like that. And then uh, Gail Benson, owner of New Orleans Pelicans, came in and immediately shut that down and said, we are not trading for the, the Lakers. Uh, and yeah, that kind of was the, the fruits of how they poisoned yeah. that situation. There. Yeah, as much as you'd like to think the GMs have power, the, the owners are still the ones who are signing the checks. Yes. <laughs> um, we, so you mentioned that, you know, the biggest losers in the drafts are the ones who tanked, had the worst seasons, and didn't end up with the top five pick, top four pick. Uh, That's because this year the lottery odds were kind of flattened across the board there. Do you think that was the right move? I think it's interesting. I think the NBA draft lottery was more exciting this year than it's ever been. I I know it's sort of become this big spectacle, uh, but the last couple years, I think the last two years before this year, the team with the greatest odds of winning the lottery actually won it. And you have to remember, the past couple years, it's been a 25% chance each time that that was going to happen. So it's not like it's a foregone conclusion, but I feel like that was sort of the uh, the understanding, the sort of public perception was that if you're bad, you're going to get a really good pick. And, and they've changed it this year. It's now four picks that are done by the ping pong balls instead of three. So if you have the worst record, it used to be the worst you could do was fourth. Now the worst you can do is fifth which makes a difference in, a, in some of these drafts where it's two or three clear-cut guys. And again, the draft is always going to be an inexact science. Ask Kawhi Leonard, ask Giannis Antetokounmpo, ask Manu Ginobili. Still, the, uh, the clear-cut way to have a great team is to collect top one and top two guys. Those are guys who nine, 95 times out of 100 are, are going to be contributors on at least playoff teams. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you still need to go to an organization, for the most part, a lot of these players outside the top five need to go to an organization that's going to put you in the right situation to train well, to win well, to grow your game. And that's why you see people like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and, you know, some of the other guys the Spurs have drafted, like Murray and White, come to this organization and are able to kind of work on their game that way. And you're not, I mean, I think opening the odds gives the chance for those top five players to land with different organizations other than, you know, the Phoenix Suns every year, or something like that. So there is some growth in that. Some some good some good points from that. Um, I do think it just it, it, when your team is really bad and you're not tanking, like Cleveland for instance, just a really bad team this year. And I don't think it was an active thing. I think they came in with some excitement. They re-signed Kevin Love. They liked their draft pick Colin Sexton, um, and that went south very quickly. Um, and so you kind of feel for those teams that are just bad and have worse odds now. But that's the way it goes. Yeah. On the other hand, though, I think it's clear that. The NBA didn't want another Sixers process situation. I think there have been some pretty bad teams recently, and it's just, it's not a good product. And you're thinking about what the fan experience is. And I understand that teams are going to, you know, read the tea leaves and understand where they are. Uh, The Grizzlies, the last couple of years, have been a pretty good example where they recognize that this is the team we're putting out. If things go well, good. Otherwise, we can, you know, shut some guys down, some things go wrong with injuries, et cetera, et cetera. That's where the NBA needs to be. I think you kind of want to enter a season where at most there are three or four teams that everyone says these guys have no chance. Uh, They, you know, they're not going to be a playoff team, but you want everybody else to at least think, hey, we have a shot at getting into the playoffs. And then things happen. Bad things happen. Injuries happen. LeBron missed a big chunk of the year this year. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis missed a big chunk of the year uh, for reasons some that were in and some that were not in his control. But you want those teams to think that they can sneak into the eight, seven or eight seed and make some noise in the playoffs. 
that's what's better for the NBA. Then you, you can get to February and recognize that things are going bad and then, okay, yeah, you know, you start doing some load management for guys who don't need load management to try to maybe manipulate the odds a little bit. That's a much better situation than overtly saying, yeah, this year's toast and probably next year too. We talked a little bit about how the outcome of the draft lottery affects the trade markets. Um, do you think it's going to affect the free agency market at all? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Knicks become much stronger trade contenders with the number three pick. They can make a much more convincing offer to probably the Pelicans to get Anthony Davis. Um, and then that then that opens the door to maybe get a Kyrie Irving, uh, Kevin Durant, things like that. Those picks become assets. And what we've heard sort of over the course of the year is that there's maybe been some tampering, I guess, back-channeling might be the more diplomatic way to say it, between some of these players and some of these teams where we've heard Kyrie Irving linked to the Knicks or the Nets. Uh, We've heard other players who kind of have one foot out the door, Kevin Durant in that same situation. If you have that sort of understanding, the the pick becomes a, 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 a trade chip. Yeah, so Durant and Kyrie Irving are clearly two of the more intriguing free agency uh, free agent guys out there. Do you have any kind of inklings or ideas or even places you'd like to see them go and play? I would actually love to see Kyrie go back and reunite with LeBron in Los Angeles. I think that would be hilarious. There was a lot of drama between them, sort of a little bit of a messy divorce. Boston doesn't want Kyrie anymore. He's kind of poisoned that locker room. I don't think they even make really an offer at him. They say, all right, you know, best wishes. Uh, So that's Kyrie, Kevin Durant. I honestly want to see him stay in Golden State. I want to see how how long can they keep running this. It's some people think it's boring. I think it's fascinating. Greatness is always interesting to watch to me. So that's where I'd like to see Kevin Durant go. Uh, Kawhi, same thing. I want to see him stay in Toronto. uh, Keep running that back. I think. If he stays in Toronto, it sends a good message to the rest of the league that these players are worth trading for, uh, that they're going to see fair value in trades. Uh, The one with uh, the trade that I mentioned earlier between Indiana and Oklahoma City that sent Paul George there, if that had been a one-year rental, that looks really bad for Oklahoma City because they gave up Victor Oladipo, who, like we said, turned into a star. Paul George maybe now regrets staying in OKC. That's a team that's sort of headed on the on a downward trajectory. But I still think it's good for the league if guys who demand a trade from their original team are ultimately convinced to stay with the team that that they get traded to. That's not New York or Los Angeles based, because otherwise you just are worried that you're you know all of these players are going to convene with the Lakers, Clippers, Nets, Knicks, the Heat, maybe you know like it's just. I think it sends the wrong message. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it would be fantastic um, if Kawhi did stay with the Raptors, mainly because, A, they've built an amazing thing up there, and that fan base kind of deserves what what they're getting. They're such a great fan base up there. Plus, I mean, it keeps Kawhi in the East, which helps, from a local standpoint, helps the Spurs. You want know, you to keep him out there, keep him out of the way as long as you can. Um, I, again, I, like you said, greatness is um, something that should be kind of respected, and you want to watch greatness. And that's a situation that's not going to be duplicated. I, I think Durant heads to New York, um, which would be interesting to think that we've got so much more talent in the East all of a sudden if Kawhi and Durant stays out there. Um, if Davis moves to the East in the trade, you're talking about three of the best six players in the league suddenly in that division, for, or suddenly that conference, which has felt kind of a lopsided kind of thing for a while. So that would be good for the conference. I could see Kyrie... Um, joining up with Durant. I think the best situation for him, like you mentioned, is the Lakers, and that's the best situation the Lakers have this offseason. They can bring in someone like Kyrie, who knows LeBron, has played well, have won a championship with LeBron. Um, That's great for them. Uh, And that's kind of a piece they're missing, kind of a second creator like that. You've got Lonzo, who's kind of growing into kind of a distributor, a playmaker, not a shooter, not a guy who can score first. And they're kind of they're missing that, so that'd be good for them. Uh, a big free agent name we haven't mentioned so far is Jimmy Butler. Um, I think he's kind of that second tier, the next kind of uh, guy there that you can see. There's other people in that tier as well in terms of Al Horford, Kimball Walker, um, Tobias Harris, Clay Thompson, as we mentioned earlier. It's gonna be pretty uh, pretty interesting uh, free agency coming forward. Is there any player out of there that you want to spotlight? Yeah, a handful of those guys do have uh, player options. Uh, Jimmy Butler, Al Horford, Chris Middleton, uh, Marcus Gasol will probably stay in Toronto. He has a player option. Uh, I'm really interested to see how they how they decide to do that. I think Philadelphia is a really interesting team to watch. 
uh, and that we haven't mentioned yet. And uh, the LA Clippers, a completely opposite situation. They have they're going to have the cap space and they have assets to make a trade. We haven't mentioned them yet. They could be. A, I think they're the dark horse in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes. I think they have some really nice young guys that that uh, New Orleans could look at if the market dries up for Davis and says, "Hey, you know." We'll re- we'll rebuild around some of these young guys that the Clippers are sending us, plus Zion Williamson, and make something there. Suddenly, the Clippers with Anthony Davis could be really attractive to a guy like a Jimmy Butler or even uh, Kemba Walker, Tobias Harris, Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton, I think, is another interesting one to watch because of what the ripple effect could be for Milwaukee. He has that player option, but does he think he did enough this postseason to bet on himself and say? I want to hit free agency now while my stock is relatively high. I know he didn't have the greatest uh, conference finals. If he does leave Milwaukee, that opens up a pretty big salary slot there that you could maybe pick somebody else to go alongside Giannis. That could be a very different team. The The, the domino that would fall next with that team is Brooke Lopez, who I think we've talked about uh, in the previous episode here, Jackson. He, he signed last season with Milwaukee for less than $4 million. Mm-hmm. He's going to earn at least quadruple that based on his postseason performance this year. We said he would have been a great fit for the Spurs. They're not going to be able to afford him now. Yeah, I think we we kind of were thinking, oh, after his regular season, he's earned a $12 million a year kind of contract. After the postseason you had, it's about $20 million a year. So that's out of the Spurs price range. Milwaukee's a team that I think looks back at their season and thinks, we need to run this back. We need to bring this back. And they had the best record in the regular season. They've got arguably the best player in the NBA right now is Giannis, and he's growing into that kind of thing. Um, I think the best move for them is honestly to not bring this team back. Uh, If Middleton opts out, that's great for them because they can bring in someone like Kimball Walker. Uh, They can bring in someone uh, like Jimmy Butler who can play off Giannis, who can be that second guy creating their shot. Uh, They relied a little bit too much on Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs, and you saw how that went. Um, And then when guys like Brooke Lopez weren't hitting their shots, as much in those last three, four games in Toronto uh, against Toronto, you kind of saw the whole thing crater there. So it might be good for them to kind of try to bring some like in someone um, in. I think if Davis ends up staying in New Orleans, that becomes a very hot place to bring someone in, um, like Jimmy Butler. I mean, I don't know how the salaries break yeah, out there. I think I think they're pretty close to the cap. With uh, Drew Holiday has a pretty. Uh big contract and they also have a Julius Randle with a player option I think Randle might be someone I guess if he's got a player option you can't really move him there might be something they can do there but that's a team that I think goes into win now mode all of a sudden to try to put if, someone next if to if they Davis. can convince AD to stay yeah. let's go back to Milwaukee really quick though I want to see something devastating or I want to say something devastating and Rudy Gay I think could be a good fit there he brings that veteran leadership that I think that team was missing a little bit, especially in sort of crunch time on the road in a tough environment in Toronto. I know Spurs fans don't want to hear it. I know DeJounte Murray especially wants to bring Rudy Gay back. I I think you'd, you'd be re-signing him at a similar slot at where he's at right now. It's about $10 million. There's some interesting things the Spurs could do there, especially uh, we mentioned before with uh, Quincy Pondexter, Dante Cunningham, those two guys combining for another four or five million. So you combine that with what Rudy Gay was getting paid. Spurs, that's a that's a decent sized chunk of change to go out and get somebody. A name I still have on here, uh, Nikola Vucevic out of uh, Orlando. That's another team that's in a really awkward spot. They made the playoffs, but maybe weren't actually aiming for the playoffs. They have a young center in waiting in Mo Bamba. Uh, that they drafted really highly. I think Vucevic could actually be on his way out of there. He would be a really nice fit in San Antonio. Uh, it sort of stretches the floor pretty well. Another big body that we said one of the Spurs' goals this offseason could be keeping LaMarcus Aldridge out of that five slot. He, I think that would be a nice pairing. I mean, Vuce, uh, Orlando is a team that's kind of built the exact opposite as the Spurs. We've got all this guard depth. They've got all this front court depth. I could see them, like you're saying, kind of move some pieces around, let some pieces go so that Obama can, can move into that five role. And Vucevic is a very Spursian player, uh, would fit great in here, um, even if it means Rudy Gay being gone. And that I mean we've talked a lot about these big swing for the fences moves people can make. Sometimes it's just bringing in veteran leadership, these 10 to 12 million, 15 million dollar a year guys to come in for a few years, provide some experience, provides some some of the pieces you're missing there. They're still contributors, still producers, maybe not the home run guys, but sometimes you don't need a home run guy. There's only a few home run guys available and every team wants them. I mean, there's this is year is actually more than usual in talking about uh, KD, Kyrie, and Kawhi, but there's 30 teams and three of those guys. 
So we've mentioned a little bit of kind of the recent news that's come out um, in the last couple of days in terms of Chris Paul uh, about David Griffith meeting with Anthony Davis. There's something in the news that stood out to you, and that was R.J. Hampton, a five-star recruit who has opted to not go to college, play in the NCAA for the year that he has to, instead going to New Zealand, starting his professional basketball uh, career there. And he talked a little bit about how his dream was never to, to be an NCAA championship, to be an NCAA player. His dream was to get to the pros, to play in the NBA. Um, what stood out to you about that decision? Well, he can say, you know, his dream is to, you know, go to the pros. The paycheck helps. You know, you're playing a year in college and things can happen. You can get injured. Ask a guy like Bull Bull, uh, who's going to see his payday, his first NBA paycheck really drop because his stock is going to drop, et cetera, et cetera. There sh- it's ridiculous to me. This is, this is something that drives me batty, Jackson, uh, that there still isn't really a good system in the United States for young basketball players who are clearly going to go pro in basketball. We're not talking about most We're talking about a very select few. This is a five-star recruit by just about every service. There needs to be some sort of way for these players to get paid. And the NCAA, I think, just has too much control right now. Here's my wild proposal for you. I would look at a situation, a model similar to what we are looking at in Europe. When you look at... um, professional soccer and how these guys are developed from a very young age. It's clear that these, you know, they're looking at 15, 16, 17 year olds. This is not normal life. I think one of the arguments in favor of college basketball and the NCAA and that amateurism model is, you know, it allows guys to get a degree. It allows guys to experience a sense of normalcy and, you know, live like a normal quote unquote, normal 18 or 19 year old and at least be in college for a year. Let's be real. That's not what we're talking about here. Zion Williamson, even down to a guy like Lonnie Walker, who you know was not the most hyped guy, but was still a first round, almost lottery pick after one year in college. There needs to be a situation where these guys can be getting paid earlier and developed like a pro, where they're not competing against guys who maybe aren't going to be professional basketball players. Uh, to me, there's the start of something in the NBA G League used to be the D League. What I would like to see, here's my crazy proposal for you. There's been talk of these guys joining the the D League or the G League uh, for a year right after high school and then they're eligible for the draft. The problem with that is where do they go? Which team, these G League teams are affiliated so closely with NBA teams. The other whatever 28, 29 teams would say that's unfair if he's playing with, for example, the Austin Spurs, that the San Antonio Spurs would have a disproportionate control over his development. Even if they're not going to draft him, he's getting coached and playing with Spurs personnel. What I would like to see here's this is the crazy proposal. Let's add two more teams to the G League and fill them only with guys who would otherwise be one and dones. So you're talking about the best 24, 25 guys right out of high school. You're eligible for the G League's base salary, whatever. It's not a lot, but it's you know decent. You know, probably about a hundred thousand dollars, maybe a little bit less. You can do shoe deals, you can do endorsements. You're a professional. You're you've graduated from high school. You're not eligible for the draft. I still think it's a good idea to have a a one year uh, gap between high school and being eligible for the NBA draft. I think there are too many guys who came into the NBA right out of high school weren't ready for it. And it it reflected negatively on the league. So I, I know there's people people been saying, yeah, let's get rid of the the age restriction. I'm not saying that. I think for one year, let's get these guys in a professional league, a minor league, a real true minor league like what we have in baseball. I think it would do a ton to grow the NBA's minor league and interest in the NBA's developmental league. In that you would have coming to these cities. Some of the guys. Could you imagine what the hype would have been around Zion Williamson coming to Sioux Falls for a game? Uh, and you know, the, the, you could work it out where these teams are always traveling or they have uh, home sites. I think you could expand the NBA's G League. They're close right now to having one to one. It's almost there. It's going to get there pretty soon. Get get that league to thirty two teams. You can spread out the these other two teams uh, to reduce travel a little bit. And now you have two very interesting exciting that would that's amazing drama to me if you're going to put uh you know 12 of the 25 best 19 year olds on a team together and they know they're going to turn over in a year or maybe two years uh that's great for those guys to be competing against guys who are right on the cusp of the nba instead of 
you know, playing six or seven games against you know, WCC cupcake schools in college. Uh, you're playing closer to a full length schedule. And it's what a moment that is for those some of those older guys, those guys who played the four years in college, maybe came from overseas, they're 26, 27, and they get to go up against these hyped 18, 19 year olds and say, no, NBA teams, look at me. I should be the ones who were the one who's getting this extra roster spot. It adds motivation. It adds attention. I think it's a great thing for the game. I mean, I think they definitely need to do something along those lines. It's a great idea um, to, to kind of embrace the G League for what it is as a developmental league. And you don't just have to develop professional players who are there. Develop the up-and-comers. Um, I think the one thing you'd have to do, though, is after that year with the team, I think players should have the ability to opt into going to college after that, as opposed to going to the pros. Mm. A lot of people might take that uh, that chance. They, they're part of this 20-man 25-man um, elite group of 19-year-olds who gets to play professionally right off the bat. Maybe they realize, I'm not ready for the pros. I need more time to develop. Go back to college. Do that. Or maybe, you know, they shouldn't ruin their eligibility, I guess. Is, uh, I, 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 could, I could see that, perhaps. I, I know the NCAA would, would love to disagree with you. I, I think at that point, you, you already have the, the G League infrastructure in place. I think it, by adding these these other players that, that becomes more prestigious, you just become a free agent in that league. And there's suddenly the movement there. Because at that point, you're talking about a guy who would maybe be a mid-second rounder. I think there are plenty of guys who are in college who would look at a mid-second round evaluation and say, I'll go back for another year. At that point, just just stay in the G League. You could, then you're a free agent. You can just get called up uh, if, you, if you blow up the next year. That could be even a solution to that. But I hope the NBA is listening. Right. Free ideas over here. And, I mean, you might still get a lot of situations. Um, and Zion Williamson kind of talked about this a few times, how he one of his things was he really wanted to play college basketball. He wanted to play for Duke. So you still might see players who are in that caliber going in for a year of college. Um, but that still gives them the chance, the choice. You know, it's all about choice. Right now they're forced into the NCAA League or they're forced to go to New Zealand like yeah. RJ Hampton. Would that change if the NBA raised the age minimum to two years out of high school, uh, similar to what Major League Baseball or what uh, the National Football League has in, instead of making it a one and done, now it's a two and done kind of commitment? Yeah, and, and that might be interesting too. I think, I mean, I, it, it, it gives them the chance to go pro. Gives them a chance to start making money, making endorsements, things like that. Um, it, it keeps them another year out from being part of the NBA, which some players might balk at. But, you know, yeah. It's something I think that needs to be addressed. I think there's conversations within the NBA and within the NCAA about what they can do about it. Yeah, it sounds like, from what I understand, more of the conversations are about uh, actually just eliminating the age minimum again. And I just hope that you would start to see players who are 18, and it's very difficult. There's a lot of people in your ear who are telling you to go pro right away. There are so many uh, almost horror stories of these guys who just weren't ready at 18 years old to come to the NBA, play at the professional level, play 82 games. For every Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, LeBron James, there are five, six uh, guys who just aren't there. I mean, maybe you get a J.R. Smith or an Al Jefferson instead, but people saw what those guys did, and I think it was not realistic for most players. Or even Gerald Green, who was a guy who was 17 when he was drafted by the Celtics and, you know, didn't do well. Uh, I think he's been open about that, how it took him a while to adjust to the pros, to adjust to being an adult. He had to go overseas to play for a while. He finally was able to come back and thrive as a role player for some teams like the Rockets, for the Suns. Um, but yeah, a guy that was drafted too early. And you could see horror stories like that pop up again if you got rid of the age restriction. So we have a very exciting summer of NBA basketball as the finals progress. Um, after the NBA finals, will be the NBA draft. And we're going to be just doing a very special podcast around the NBA draft. We'll be live on YouTube, breaking down the picks, breaking down what the Spurs are going to do with their picks. Um, so be sure to follow us there. Yeah, be sure to follow Ken's Five on YouTube so you'll be uh, aware of when that's going on. We'll try to be uh, monitoring the comments for that. We can try to answer some of your questions. Uh, we'll be hitting the books and trying to research as many draft prospects as possible between now and then. Also going to be enjoying, of course, the uh, the NBA Finals and uh, watching Kawhi Leonard, for better or worse, Spurs fans. And we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the Memorial Day Miracle. Its 20th anniversary is this week. Uh, and going hand in hand with that, we're doing a very special 20th anniversary podcast of the first Spurs championship, that 1999 uh, NBA championship. Be joined by some special guests, break down how that series came to be, what happened in that series, and the impact it's had in the NBA and in San Antonio. So be on the lookout for that one as well. That's the Big Fun Pod. Cameron, thank you for so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jackson. Thank you, everyone, for listening, sticking with us this whole time. Be sure to subscribe, rate us five stars on Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts. We thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.